Thanks for tuning in to the Diabetes Dish Podcast, brought to you by OnTrackDiabetes.com and the OnTrack Diabetes app, available for the iPhone and Android. Here's your host, Ann Galt. This is the Diabetes Dish. I'm Ann Galt. I'm here today with Michael Castagna, who's the CEO of the Mankind Corporation, the manufacturers of Afreza Inhalable Insulin. Dr. Castagna has over 20 years of experience in healthcare, pharmaceuticals, biotech, and specialty pharmacy industries. He received his pharmacy degree from the Philadelphia College of Pharmacy and his doctor of pharmacy from the Massachusetts College of Pharmacy, and he has an MBA from the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania. We're also joined by Dr. Joel Friedman, who's an ER physician in Naples, Florida, he lives with type 2 and he uses Afriza to manage his condition. Back in 2016, Dr. Castagna was a guest on the Diabetes Dish, episode 9, if you want to hear it again. And I thought it'd be a good idea to check back in with him and get an update about Afriza and find out what's coming down the pike. And I also wanted to get the perspective of a type 2 patient. So welcome, Dr. Castagna and Dr. Friedman. Uh, let's start with yeah. Dr. Castagna. Welcome. Good morning. <laughs> Can you just give the listeners a brief explanation of how Afreza works, who uses it currently, and maybe explain the difference in how someone with type 1 might use it compared to someone with type 2? Yeah, no, I mean, Afreza uh, has been been around for a couple of years now, and, and how a type 1 would use it is we've gotten continuing glucose monitoring. They really look at their their sugars, they're trying to keep a tight time and range, and they really want something that reacts quickly um, so they can maintain that tight control. Uh, because I think the biggest challenge we've had in 97 years of insulin is really trying to time the dose with the meal and how long that meal goes on, and, and you really can, we've demonstrated flexibility in that with some recent data we published last year. Uh, where, where for the first time you can see postprandial or post mealtime control, uh, where, where your sugars are dropping in the first hour uh, after we, where most people that live with type one or type two rarely see their sugars going down. They see them going up for the first hour or two, then start to come down. That's really the uniqueness of a is that it's inhaled, it gets into the lung very quickly, it gets into the blood very quickly, and starts working very quickly. And it doesn't require a lot of time for that activity to happen. Uh, we're talking minutes, and, and so people can start to see that exact activity uh, on their CGM within you know 10, 15 minutes, starting to work. On type two patients, um, there we find uh, they just want something easy that they don't have to think a lot, and just really taking the dose of each meal and making it a very fixed dose, so they're not thinking about how many carbs do I count uh, and things like that. That you just inhale a four, eight, or twelve, and just get close enough to that meal to cover that meal. And uh, we find that they're very different populations, but that both people like the drug. And half our patients are type one uh, with type one diabetes, and half of our patients have type two diabetes. So, with the type twos, there really isn't no carb counting necessary. I mean, with type ones, there would have to be, or am I not understanding? That? Uh, you know, I might, um, Dr. Freeman, I'd like you to speak uh, maybe from your perspective. Yeah. Do you count carbs, or how do you how do you think about it? Yeah, at, at this point, I, I do not count carbs at all. Um, basically, uh, I guess I, I'll start off with a little background. I'm, I'm uh, type 2. I've been type 2 uh, for approximately 10 years. I've been using Afresa 
for almost uh, two years now. Uh, I started off with uh, medications. Uh, I was on metformin. Uh, that didn't control it. It controlled it for a while. Then I went to Actos, and then I went to Farziga. And ultimately, uh, I talked to my endocrinologist and decided to go on uh, Afreza. And uh, he asked me if, if I knew that was insulin. And I said, yes, of course I do. And, uh, you know, I said, I think I can get better control with that. So basically, uh, the Afreza comes in, in units of uh, 4, 8, and 12 units. If, uh, and I usually take it like within five minutes after, you know, starting a meal. And uh, oh, after so I start the meal. And the, okay. Yeah, after, usually after I start it. And uh, I usually take uh, four units if it's a small meal, eight units a bigger meal, and 12 units if, it, if it's uh, uh, a larger meal. And uh, what, I, what I do at that point, uh, about an hour and a half after uh, the Efrez is working, I check my sugar and uh, I take a corrective dose. And I, I've titrated my Efrezes my so that I know that uh, four units will drop me uh, approximately 16 points, uh, eight units will drop me 32 points, 12 units will drop 48 points. So that if my sugar is up by, you know, uh, say 116, I, I would just take a four, an additional four units of a Fresa. So I can titrate it and, and get my sugar down to, to I, I aim for around 100. Now, how long did it kind of take you to figure that out, your system? Uh, very, very simple. When I when I first started, I, I would check my sugar, and then I'd take uh, a four unit of a Fresa, and I would check it uh, hour and a half later and see what my sugar was. Uh, I tried it with an eight unit. I tried it with a, a twelve unit, and uh, it was pretty easy to you know to calculate that. Uh, I would calculate one unit of a Fresa would drop it four, mm. uh, would drop my sugar four. So. I, I'm pretty comfortable with, with what the how the Afreza works. So, uh, and how you know, many right after I take... Go ahead. Yes, go ahead. I just wondered, how many times a day are you taking it then? You're taking it before I, every I'm meal? I'm just taking the Afreza with meals. Okay. I take, I take the... The only pill I'm taking is, is a medication called Glixambi, which is a combination drug. It's a... Uh, it uh, causes... Uh, basically, it causes you to lose glucose in the urine, uh, instead of absorbing it, and it's a combination. The other drug uh, decreases the amount of glucagon and increases insulin uh, release. And that's the only drug I take. I take that uh, once in the morning, and then I correct uh, all, with uh, mealtime. I use uh, a Fresa exclusively for uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So after each meal, I take uh, either 4, 8, or 12, depending on how much I eat, and an hour and a half later, I, I do a correction. Wow, that sounds, I mean, I wouldn't say anything about diabetes is easy, but that sounds pretty convenient, no? Yeah, it's very, it's very easy. And, uh, you know, it, it's, 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 you know, it works extremely well. And it works within, within 15 minutes of taking it, it starts to work within an hour and a half, it's out of your system. So there's no uh, hypoglycemic reactions where, where the sugar gets low and could be dangerous. Now, Ken, before we were recording, you told me um, you never took injections, and I wondered if you could talk about your decision to just go right to Afreza. 
Yeah, I, I didn't take the injections. The the injections uh, have a problem in that the the dosage of the injection can be cumulative. Uh, if you take an injection, you can't exactly tell when it's going to be out of your system. And if you take an additional dose, you can end up having a, a very low sugar. Uh, and and uh, you know, I, I just didn't want didn't think there was a need to use injections when Efreza was so simple and so effective. And uh, so that's why I'm using the Efreza. Uh, and, and like I say, it's out of your system in an hour and a half. So if you're a, a, a brittle diabetic and you take it, uh, say an hour and a half before you go to bed, you know that in an hour and a half, it's, it's almost completely out of your system. And uh, the, the potential for a low sugar is uh, extremely limited. I mean, do you feel it like being out of your system? I just wondered physically no, if you feel no. anything. No, you don't. You no, don't. I don't. I don't feel that. Now you. But, also, but if I recheck my sugar, I know that it's it's done its job. Okay, interesting. You also said something earlier about when you first asked your doctor about a Fresa, and he kind of paused and said, "You know, that's insulin, don't you?" Um, can you talk a little bit about? That um, in terms of uh, what you also said before we started to record about the thinking maybe changing in the medical community that insulin may be somehow more beneficial yeah, I, than I, the drugs. I think, yeah, I think from a personal from a personal point of view, the medications all seem to have uh, side effects. Uh, you know, they, you know, you read about it; they may be limited, but you know, there's potential for uh, pancreatic cancer, there's potential for uh, what they call Fournier's gangrene with the new drugs, and there's all sorts of side effects. With the, the, with the Fresa is a natural insulin. So I basically, and it, it mimics the pancreas. So I actually felt that uh, I wanted to get off as many medications as I could. And uh, I think that the, uh, this, the trend in the future will be to to start insulin earlier on type two diabetics, and uh, it might give them better control. Yeah, that's and very. With the inhalable insulin, it, it's you know there's got a lot of benefit. Okay, I mean it's very interesting, and I'm gonna do some more reporting on that aspect for sure. Um, you know, I think I want to ask a question to Dr. Castaga. Why is it that more people aren't using it? Do you think? Well, I, you know, I, you know, I share um, many people's frustration on that one because, you know, I've spoken to, you know, hundreds of doctors in the last two years and uh, a lot of payers. And, you know, we've had 40 new drugs approved in the last decade. We've quadrupled the cost of treatment in the last five to seven years. People's co-pays are out of the, out of, you know, through the sky. And all we do, to, to what Dr. Joel just said, is we, we just keep adding drugs to people. We never take away things. And, you know, people are being treated as if they're failures and they say, I'll just add this, come back in three months, add this, come back in a year. And, and, and so they don't, people don't typically go back every three months, right? They, they, either they can't afford it or they feel fine or they wait. Um, and so we know people aren't getting their drugs titrated. We know doctors are just adding on things. And there's a patient in the middle of all this and the payers are driving up co-pays to the patients. Um, you got to co-pay to the doctor's office and you need labs. And it's a, it's a lot of work for an individual uh, person and why they haven't adopted a Fresnel more is is a couple of reasons. One, 
people delay insulin by seven to 10 years from when they need it. That, that's the first problem. Uh, and then the second problem is a lot of doctors, um, you know, these days it's very hard for drug companies to get into a lot of academic centers, for example. And so there's so many prescribers that um, if they weren't trained in medical school on how to use a drug or they're coming out years later and they don't have all the information and they don't read the publications, it's very hard to educate an entire population at once. So, you know, we have gone after a very small subset of doctors to educate them and raise awareness. And that population, we are seeing it adopted, but we don't target 100% of the doctors who write all the insulin in the country or all the diabetes drugs. Um, we target a subset. And, and, you know, if we had more capacity, we would, we would target more physicians to raise awareness um, with them. Uh, but, but I think that's just, it's really a baseline of awareness. A lot of them uh, did not understand the benefits of inhaled insulin. And, and they still don't today. I was just dealing with somebody today in, in the Kaiser system. Um, and, and so because they don't understand the benefits and they're comfortable doing what they're doing, you know, not everyone jumped on the new iPhone or a Tesla just because it got exciting. Um, but it takes time. And as people evolve and systems evolve, people adopt things. And I think that's what you're going to see with the Fresno, just like Tesla to build charging stations. Now people have Teslas, at least all over California. I see them. Um, and just like everyone has an iPhone or a Samsung, we don't all carry flip phones anymore. So things do change. They just don't always happen as quickly as we want. But there's no reason. I mean, you tell me, and Joel, you, you work in the hospital. I mean, there's no reason somebody wakes right. up every day and says, I want to inject three times a day. I mean, you know, show me that patient. Um, and so I think it's really about doctors offering patient choice and getting their own clinical experience with the product. And there's no more data we need to generate. We have a lot of data on this drug, um, you know, 65 different trials and thousands of patients going on, you know, two plus years. So, so it's, it's, there's a lot of data behind the product. It's really getting that data in front of doctors who are uncomfortable doing something different. And, and Joe, I, I open up to you for, for any thoughts you have. Yeah. And I was, I want to just interrupt one minute. Uh, Dr. Friedman told me a story again yeah. before we started recording about his story of having difficulty accessing the product. Can you tell that story again, Joel? Yeah. Yeah, that was the pre-authorization mm. process that uh, when I called uh, my insurance company, uh, they didn't want to put, put me on it. And you have to get letters to document why you want to be on it. The insurance company tells you, well, you should go on injectable insulin first, or you should do this first or that first. And I said, no, that's not what I'm interested in doing. You know, I talked to my endocrinologist. He's agreeable to putting me on a Fresa, and that's what I want to be on. So I had to go through a, a significant process and write a significant number of letters. And then I actually had to get on the phone and, uh, you know, d discuss the issues with them for quite a bit. Now, being a physician, it, it made it a little bit easier for me. But after a year when it needed to be renewed again, they wanted me to go through the whole pre-authorization process again. And, and at that point, I went through Mankind Cares, which is a... Uh, uh, a uh, system that, that mankind has that they have people that help people get uh, pre-authorization. Uh, they're aware of what type of letters the insurance company wants, and they're able to uh, talk to the endocrinologist or your doctor and give them a, a, uh, a plan for how to write the letter and what they want, and they were able to facilitate the process. But unfortunately, you know, the pre-authorization process is difficult and many doctors don't want to go through that. That's another reason that they weren't initiating uh, FRESA initially because they didn't want to write these letters and, and have 
uh, problems with the insurance companies. Oh, boy. Is mankind doing anything to make that, to change that situation or make it easier? Or has it gotten any easier? This is Dr. Friedman's experience is about two years, I think. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, our, our big focus is to make this as seamless and, and easy as possible. I mean, I, I talk to payers uh, monthly. I'm, I'm always visiting one of them. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, sometimes in, in competitive markets like diabetes, you know, competition likes to make it difficult for other drugs to get adopted because they don't want doctors to get that experience or patients because if they're happy, then they switch off drugs and that doesn't help another company. Right. Uh, and that's a lot of what we deal with. It's not a matter of the price point. It's really a matter of, you know, P&T committees and pharmacy contracting entities like PBMs um, look at things independently of competition. And, and I think that's, that's that market is changing and that's evolving now. But for the first couple of years of launch, people's incentives were to protect the highest priced drugs on market share. And so if you had a drug that had 95% market share with a formulary position, your, your goal was not to put that at risk. And, and that's slightly changing now. But for us as a company to the average consumer, what they need to know is two things. One, make sure you're using our copay card. It's on our website, go to afresa.com. Uh, anyone that's commercially insured will pay no more than $15. Whereas little is fifteen dollars, uh, we can't always control some things, but that's on there. And and so most people should be able to go fill a prescription regardless of prior authorization for fifteen dollars. And and so that's for seventy percent of people that have commercial insurance. And then you can look at Medicaid. A lot of times Medicaid is covered. That's about ten percent of the patients out there. They have their their small copays uh, in any Medicaid plan that they have. And then Medicare is about twenty percent of the market. And so we see uh, our average share of Medicare being very similar. Um, and I don't hear a lot of complaints among Medicare recipients um, in terms of their out-of-pocket costs. They can't use copay cards, but um, that, that part of our business is growing and the coverage is happening. So we see most people that want the drug do get it. Sometimes it takes a month. Sometimes it takes three days. Um, by law, Medicare has to respond to a prior authorization in three days. Um, but a lot of drugs have prior authorization these days. These days it's not unique to Afreza. Um and, and I think it's just what can we do as a company to make that process as simple as possible. And that's why we just launched this new uh, copay card for patients that even if there's a prior off, like Joel described, um, you can walk to the pharmacy and get it filled for $15. And uh, that, that's on the website. So that, that's my advice to people is, you know, get there, get moving, get your health well. And if you get great results, you'll submit that to your insurance company and they can't, they're not responsible for your um, outcomes. You're responsible for your outcomes. And so if you show them that, you're doing something to get better outcomes. Insurance companies do want you to do well. They don't want you to do poorly. Um, but sometimes you got to fight. And, and that's, that's reality. We all live with diseases that, you know, it's, our, it's in our best interest to make sure we're doing well. Okay. I, you bring up something else that um, is kind of the white elephant in the room is the uh, whole issue of insulin affordability um, that we've covered a lot on on-track diabetes and you know, it's a big problem. Can you talk a little bit about the cost of a Fresa compared to injectable insulin? I mean, you mentioned the $15 copay, which sounds great. Um, but what do you say to the people out there that, you know, maybe using um, a pump or injectable insulin, um, how that price falls out and compares? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I'll say is it's, you know, everything we've learned and been taught about insulin for the last 97 years, you have to throw out the door for Afreza mm. um, because people have perceptions of weight gain and hypoglycemia and speed of action and 
uh, syringes and everything else. And so you, you got to throw all that out and start and clear your head, which is part of the problem, right? People are biased based on their history. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to insulin pricing, the reason I say that is it's very hard to compare an injectable unit to an inhaled unit. They're not this, they're not identical. They're close, right? So, but they're really not. They work completely differently. They have completely different timing profiles. And and so we we say that because um, you know people always ask me, well, how do I compare? And I say, well, I don't know because if your A1C is an eight and you're on a pump that has one cost structure, you're paying for the pump thousands of dollars, you're paying for the insulin on top of that, you're paying for your CGM on top of that. And if you're on a Frezza and you're on Libre, that's a very different cost structure where you don't have a pump, you don't have maybe a Dexcom, and you're paying a lot less. So that overall cost of care is a lot, lot, lot less. So it's really about the total cost of care that we look at when we talk to payers. And you know, I was reading a statistic the other day about 10% of the people that are type one will die from a hypoglycemic event. I mean, that's serious trouble. Right, so how many hospitalizations or ER visits do you see for hypoglycemia? And and so that's when we talk to payers. It's really about the total cost of care, and and some of that value that we see that you don't need all these other things sometimes. Um, and so if I, you know, because to compare one injectable unit to one inhaled unit, you're you're really looking at a bunch of different things, not just the cost per unit. So because for um, a four unit um, measure of a Fresa is not the same as. A, as it, yeah, because in, uh, the insulin unit was defined as, I, I think, a 4.4-pound rabbit and what it took to drop, I think, your sugars by 35 or 45 milligrams per deciliter. That's how an insulin unit was defined. I know. Based on Sounds insulin. crazy. <laughs> right? So so we don't have that same for pulmonary insulin. So we've tried to equivalize them close, right? And that's – sometimes people get confused. Well, I need that precise dosing. What they don't realize is when you inject, your, your variability is – 30 to 50 percent, whether because you're off on counting carbs, your glucose mm. meter is off by 10 percent, or your That's angle right. of your insulin being injected mm -hmm. is off by 40 percent, depending if you inhaled, I mean, you uh, injected a straight versus at an angle. So, you know, there is no precise measurement of insulin uh, when you really look and say, I injected six units. Well, you might have injected four, you might have gotten eight. Um, and that's what the FRES, at least we know when you inhale four, eight, or 12, you're getting a very consistent dose every single time. There's not a lot of guesswork in that. I think that's really, really important. People mix that up. But when it comes to pricing, we do see 65,000 consumers paying for injectable insulin over $200 a month. And um, and so we created a cash program. So people can go to insulinsavings.com and see that I think it's as low as $5 a day now um, is our goal to help manage those patients who are paying over two to two to $700 a month. So if someone is paying cash, we, we've created a solution for them. Um, but the majority of people, over 95%, don't pay cash for their insulin. So that, that's really where the copay card helps and insurance coverage. But we did want to show you that, you know, if middlemen are cut out, uh, a lot of the cost of drugs, not just insulin, is due to the wholesalers and due to the pharmacy benefit managers and everybody else getting money in the middle. And, um, you know, even just having a, a sales force and marketing teams and all that stuff on TV, you see, we all pay for that one way or another. Um, so, you know, this program... You know, it's not promoted. It's really out there available. It's got a website. People like yourselves make it available to patients. Yeah, I will put it um, on the website for sure in this article and with yeah. the podcast. Um, I, I had a question about the, the dosing um, because I did have a type 1 reader ask prior to the podcast, um, how did you come about the 4, 8, 12, and what if you need less than 4? <laughs> Are there ever people that would need less, or is it – do not think of it in that sense? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, originally in the development program, these were labeled three, six, and nine. 
because it's closer to three, six, and nine um, uh, in terms of injectable to an inhaled. Right? Um, but it's not exact because they're so different. But the FDA, because of hypoglycemia concerns, said, well, we'd rather underdose people because they can titrate up than, than the other way around. I so see. they rounded anyone from zero to four units takes a four. And, you know, so if you look at a curve when you inhale your insulin, a four unit pretty much starts working in about 10 minutes and it's pretty much done its job in 30 minutes and it's out of your body within the hour pretty much. So a two unit would work in about 10 minutes and be out of your body in 30 minutes. That's not going to cover a snack or a meal. And, and so that's what people misunderstand because they think I'm taking two units of injectable. Well, a two unit injectable insulin starts working in two hours and it's in your body for, you know, four to six hours. And, and so it's not the same. And, and that's why people just have to erase what they know about insulin because if you're trying to track back to an injectable unit, the, their, their profiles are just so different. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest proof in the pudding will be our pediatric studies. So we're dosing eight to 12 year old kids right now and they're using four units. So if an eight year old kid can use a four unit cartridge, I think a 25 year old adult, very few adults take less than two units of insulin per meal. And that's roughly what you'd be looking at if you're worried about that. Um, if someone's really taking only three to four units of meal payments on a day, okay, maybe a fries is not the right drug, but the majority of people are taking more than two to three units of meal. Boy, parents must love it, right? I mean, especially with little kids and needles. I mean, this just takes that whole problem away. Yeah, I mean, kids don't want to be on pumps, and especially as teenagers, they rip off all the electronics and the Dexcom. So we're you know, we're optimistic. We're we're doing the trial right now on the dosing to actually prove exactly what you're asking, which is, hey, can a can an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old use a four-unit cartridge? That's exactly what the FDA wants us to do, and that's exactly what we're doing. Um, and we'll get those results very shortly on on the on the next group of kids we're going. And then from there, we'll go to four to eight, four to seven-year-olds. And so that's when people say, I need a smaller dose. I kind of say, well, let's let's get the kids first, yeah. because most adults I know on the drug think they need a smaller dose, and they start with fours and realize really quickly they're on eights. And Joel, I don't know what, what's been your experience or perspective in, in some of this. But, um. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i pretty good with the 4, 8, and 12. But, you know, I say, and, and the only drawback I say is that it works so well that sometimes I, I may cheat when I eat. Because I know <laughs> I can correct it. So I, I need to, uh, you have to really, you know, be cognizant of that fact. And so, you know, the foods that I have to avoid are basically bread, uh, potatoes, uh, rice, and, and, and pasta. And, uh, you know, occasionally I, I feel like I want to eat one of those things, and I know that a president will correct it. But it, I know that I'm much better if I avoid those, those uh, foods. And, and you explained it earlier, I think it's so interesting. You, you think of it as small, medium, and large meals, kind of, and that's how you... Exactly, exactly. Wait. I mean, that just seems like such a so much about diabetes, and I do not have diabetes, but I find confusing. But just hearing uh, Dr. Friedman's tale of what he ha- what his day looks like, it just seems a lot more simple. Of course, type two might be arguably a little bit um, right. Um, now, a lot of less, the type ones. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was saying a lot of the type ones have uh, continuous glucose monitors. And they can they can tell what their sugars are, you know, instantaneously by by using the monitors. And so it, it's very easy to to you know decide whether they need more or less. Do you use a CGM yourself? Uh, I'm not I'm not using one. 
you know, I, I don't use, I, I do check my sugar. Uh, usually after, like I say, after each meal, I'll take a Frezza and then I'll check my, check my sugar and then I'll just do a corrective dose. So you figure I'm, I'm not using, yeah. You're correct. doing, okay, okay. Have you tried, have you thought at, about at the Libre point. at all or tried it? Uh, yeah, I thought about them, you know, the Dexcom or the Libre and, and uh, you know, it, at this point I, I haven't done that, but I mean, I, I think that's a, a great option for people that are type one and, and probably for certain type twos. Right, okay. And I, I do have a very practical question that another reader wanted to know. Um, so I'm gonna direct this to Dr. Friedman. What happens if you have a cold or you're really congested? Does taking the inhaled product work differently? No, doesn't seem, doesn't seem to affect anything because I'm inhaling it. And so it goes, it goes into the lungs. It, apparently it, it, it's out of the lungs like extremely fast. So, uh, you know, it, it, it works very quickly and, and uh, usually if I have a cold, it's, it's not a problem. All right, so uh, congestion the in the lungs. Only, the only thing yeah. that, that concerns me is coughing. If you're coughing, that, that, that may be a problem, but usually uh, I'll, I'll drink some water before I take it and uh, I, you inhale it pretty quickly. And uh, I, I think most of it gets into your system. So coughing, yeah, I, the concern would be that you're you know, wasting some of the medicine or it's not getting fully. Yeah, that's my, my concern is that if I cough, did I really get it all in? So you, I, yeah, I usually you, uh, take some water beforehand. Did you want to add to that, Dr. Castagna? I do. No, Joel, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, we, we, it is important to tell people, you know, one out of four people may get a cough. It generally goes away within the first three to four weeks. Um, and about 3% of people may continue to get a small cough. And it, it's kind of like a, like not, not a, and Joel, you can probably confirm that. It's not a horrible, like right. hacking cough. Um, and so I think Joel's right, you know, trying water, uh, things like that before and after, you're not going to wash away your insulin dose. But sometimes what people don't realize, any powder, um, our particular technology, you get the majority of the powder into the lung in seconds. Other technologies, if you think about like an Advair, you know, you're, you're losing about 70% of that powder on the way down to the, to the target. Um, and a lot of that gets hit in the back of the throat and the cheeks. And our technology, not as much goes there. And so even if you were to cough and see a little bit of powder, it's such a small amount of those that you actually got into your lungs it's not it's not clinically relevant so we've you know in the technology design we built for that accommodation we know that you lose a certain amount and uh and so therefore you, you know if you inhale in 0.4 seconds you've got the majority of the insulin in your lungs and and so you know even if you were to cough you, you didn't you're not it's already in your lungs you can't cough it out but and now what if you uh, have like you know you're sick with a, a chest cold does yeah. that is that um, no, something to be aware think about of? smokers. Mm. Yeah, no, think about smokers, right? They still get nicotine in their lungs and uh, their blood immediately when they smoke, right? Your lungs okay. are covered in tar. And, and same thing with a Frezza. Your lungs are your lungs are very durable. They get absorption very quickly. They're, they're half the size of a tennis court. So you're spreading all this insulin across half the size of a tennis court. And, and wow. so, um, you know, when you inject, you're going into one little spot in your stomach somewhere, right? You just it's got to travel through all the adipose tissue and, and the fat and then get there so there's a very big difference right and that's what people don't always understand you know you get scar tissue with pumps uh you know you lose sites and all those things so it's a challenge living with this disease um but now we've done studies just so you know on upper respiratory infections we don't see differences in absorption in, in those populations um and and you know unfortunately when you're sick your glucose is all over the place right your sugars are going up and down regardless of us um 
but that that's not because of Fresno's not getting the right dose. It's more because that's just what happens when you get sick, your body's out of whack. Okay. Um, have there been any discussions or are there any studies being planned? I don't know, it's tricky, but um, for gestational diabetes. <laughs> I'm looking at somebody working for us right, right. now who's uh, about six months pregnant. Okay. Um, so uh, she's doing great, uh, thank God. Uh, we, we don't have any studies ongoing. We have a registry database where we track um, people who are pregnant on a FRESA and look at the outcomes. Uh, and I know of a handful of people who've gotten to that stage, and, and so far everything looks fine. And, and the most important part is an FDA changed our label about a year and a half ago. It's really up to the doctor's judgment on what insulin to use and, and putting that risk benefit in profile. What's most important in pregnancy is the variability, right? You don't want those highs. And, you know, we can argue any insulin has worked for many years to help people um, hopefully deliver a healthy baby. But um, in our particular case, we know we bring the highs down very quickly and you don't have as much variability. We've, we've shown that in our, in our recent staff study, the variability is much less um, okay. with the FRESA. And, and, and so that's important. But also remind people two other things. It's human insulin. So it's not like it's a, an, you know, a derived insulin. And the other part is the other only other component of the human insulin is this carrier molecule. Think about a car that delivers the insulin to the lung. That gets excreted uh, unmetabolized, so it doesn't touch the placenta at all. So basically, all we're doing is delivering human insulin back into the body. And uh, there's nothing unnatural about human insulin in the body. Wow. So that sounds really promising. Hmm. I wondered um, another question from a reader. Uh, does Afresa have any ability to stimulate the body's own natural production of insulin? I wouldn't say it has the, I mean, the body's either making enough insulin or it's not, or it's deficient, right? And, and, I, and I, you know, right. can't cover meal. Um, so I don't know if you have a perspective on that one, but. Yeah, the, I, I don't think it stimulates, it doesn't stimulate insulin. Okay. Uh, it, it, it basically it works like the pancreas and you, you're actually getting a, a natural source of insulin. Okay. So if you're diabetic, you either don't produce insulin, or or there's uh, or you can have insulin resistance, where you don't respond, the body doesn't respond to it, uh, and then you you know. But the Afresa uh, provides a natural uh, human insulin. Okay, um, and we touched on the weight issue, but I wondered if one of you or both of you could address. Um, insulin causing weight gain is it is the afresa apparently causes uh, does not cause weight gain and, and some people actually lose weight on it yeah that our, our studies would show versus injectable insulin you gain less weight or even lose some weight when you switch to afresa um if you're going against non-insulin obviously you may gain a half a kilogram or something but nothing major uh, and, and so that's that's true Okay. And can you also, before I let you go, talk about the medical clearances, if that's the right terminology, that need to happen before a Fresa can be part of your life? Yeah, who's appropriate and, and, and who's not. And I think that, mm -hmm. that's, that's a great way to end the call today. So mm -hmm. uh, anyone that has asthma, COPD, uh, or just underlying lung disorder, like a, you know, a pulmonary hypertension or IPF, you know, probably not the right population uh, for the product. Um, smokers were not contraindicated and we just don't recommend it um, but that that's that's just uh, some history there the um, the main test you do before you start treatment is, is really called an FEV1 test it's forced expiratory volume in one second and I think it's really important because sometimes doctors especially new doctors have never used it 
they're very confused on what do I have to do and not do. And I always tell patients, you need a one-second test, um, and, and so that's really important. And you're, well, you're, you're not looking for anything. You're just trying to get a baseline lung function to track that over time because what you are looking for is a 20% decline in your lung function, which you rarely see. And, and so it's much more um, – it happened in 2% versus 1% of people, just to give you some context. And, and so that's really why you measure the lung function test. And then also just making sure, you know, if someone's going to have a bronchiospasm, you would potentially see it in that, that, that early test period. But the primary um, care doctor would administer that test, or would you have to go Yeah, elsewhere? a lot of primary care docs, no, exactly. A lot of primary care docs have that in their office, and the endocrinologist, if they don't have one, we make sure they can get one. Um, we, we try to minimize that as a barrier. That's not something that I typically hear after the doctor writes the first first or second patient, that typically goes away. It's usually the first time they're using it. They don't know what to do. And we train them. And even if they're not one of the docs we target, we're happy to walk them through it. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's the least uh, part of the hassle, hopefully, um, after the first time. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I want to give you both an opportunity to say anything that I may have forget forgotten to mention that you think is important. Yeah, I, I can say working working in the emergency room, I see a lot of, of patients that are have insulin reactions. I see uh, patients that are in diabetic ketoacidosis, which is an extremely serious condition where their sugar goes extremely high, and they uh, get acidotic and and uh, excrete uh, uh, acetone. Uh, I see pa patients that are hypoglycemic, and I, and then I see all of the uh, diabetic complications of uh you know infections and uh vascular disease and heart problems and uh a lot of the patients that i see i think would be candidates for a fresa and you know i don't start them on that in the emergency room but i i will tell them about the medication uh, i'll have write it down for them and advise them to follow up with their primary doctor or their endocrinologist mm -hmm. but i think that uh a lot of these uh, reactions uh, could be eliminated. Boy, that's an important point. I mean, DKA as well as hypoglycemia are both life-threatening conditions. So uh, anything that can help uh, curtail those problems. I thank you both so very much for taking the time from your hectic schedules to join me. I'm, I mean, I, I think this is exciting and important, and I'm happy to... Uh, spread the word, and I'm going to be putting the links that Dr. Castagna mentioned um, on the website so people can get more information. And I just want to tell the listeners to please go to On Track Diabetes to learn more about Afreza, to find blood sugar friendly recipes, expert tips, and the inspiration you need to live your best life with diabetes. This podcast was edited by Alex Coletta. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you both, Drs. Castagna and Dr. Friedman, for joining me. Thank you, Anne. Thank you.